Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now, cooking on a barbecue is one of, certainly one of my favourite pastimes. It's definitely one of Australia's most favourite pastimes. And it's an image that's iconic to Australia and, by the way, all around the world for my money. So when it comes to changing views about how to cook steaks, fish, chicken, even pizzas, you're facing a very big challenge. And that's what Dave Tomasian and his business partner, Karen Azumanian, hopefully I got those names right, are trying to do with the company, and the company's called Searsmiths. Now, they've designed and built their own barbecue, a forge, which says they cook the best steaks, fish, and chicken in the world. Now, I've tried it, and it's pretty bloody good. These guys have been mates since high school and have gone into business over the last couple of years, so they've only been in business a couple of years. And with their forge hitting the market earlier this year, I've decided I'll bring them in and have a mag to them. I want to ask them if they're crazy about taking on the traditional Aussie barbecue. And I want to talk to them about their business model. And I want to actually work out, have they actually done something that is a better way to barbecue? So let's get into it. Dave and Parin, or Dave and Parin? Parin. 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 I'm going to talk about your names in a sec. <laughs> Welcome to The Mentor, guys. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks now, I, I just got to go back to this. So it's... Dave Tomasian. Very good. And I've got Parin, P-A-R-E-N, Azumanian. Perfect. Perfect. Very good. Azumanian. So, uh, mate, I, I, I'm, this, I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler for this sort of stuff. What's the background of the two names? Like, where's it from? Where's the name come from? Um, both of our surnames are Armenian. Um, born here, you two? Uh, Dave was born no, in Germany. Born in Germany. I was born in the UK. Both Armenian parents. Armenian parents. Both parents are Armenian. One, one of mine is. One of yours yeah. is. The other is German. German. Okay, yeah. well, that's why you're born in Germany. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Armenians, of course, are known to be the great merchants of the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, don't you? One of, one of, yeah. yeah well, yes. well, well, I can tell you, <laughs> my experience with Armenians, they're all good business people. And I've had some experience with Armenians. Of course, our uh, premier is uh, Armenian, yes. and, and she was the ex-treasurer, by the way, that's before correct. she became the premier. So. Clearly, um, you must guys must have that gene in you somewhere, and I, I know I definitely know the Germans are good at business. So, uh, <laughs> what a combination, deadly! So, how do you two guys know each other? Well, we've known each other since school days in high school. But you come uh, from Germany, you come yeah. from the UK, so or around the other way, however it is. How's that all work? So, I moved here from London when I was fifteen, and then Dave was basically one of my first friends in high school. And Dave, when did you come here? Uh, very young, when I was three. Three? So, uh, yeah, junior. Right, okay. So 
And did you sort of get sort of hanging out together because of what? What was the reason? Um, I think it was just sort of, I don't know, we just naturally became friends and we lived near each other. Um, yeah, I think it's your boys, you live close, your mates. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> true. That's yeah. true too. Yeah. And you go to the same school. Exactly, yeah. It was nothing yeah. to do with the fact you both had Armenian... Well, that that uh, sort yeah. of helped, yeah. So we sort of got into the same circles, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how old are you guys? I'm 34. Dave's 34 as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a couple of 34-year-old guys. I mean, uh, by the way, uh, some of you might be able to see this because we did put this up in video, or well, parts of it anyway, but they're both standing here with, with a <clears throat> black T-shirt on that says Searsmiths, established in 2016, which wasn't all that longer. Um, ordinary people, extraordinary meat. Yes. Is that right? That's right. Ordinary people, extraordinary meat. I like it. And um, I've just come down from the Triple M, Triple M uh, what have we got upstairs? What do you call it? Oh. Rooftop, that's it, where we had a barbecue. And uh, we're going to put this up on uh, Instagram, etc. Um, it'll be up on the website too, um, where the boys are demonstrating to me their latest and greatest invention. But before we talk about it, um, two things for me, in, and I reckon most blokes – uh, that we all horn up over, <laughs> and I guess women do too. We all, all blokes would like to own a big business and some sort of meat-barbecue business. <laughs> now, um, I've been lucky enough to own beer businesses, um, but I've never owned or been involved in a meat business, barbecue business, um, and so that's what you guys do. you got a barbecue business. I mean, you said extraordinary meat, but basically Seasmiths, as as I understand it, is a new way of barbecuing meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about it in a minute, um, about the product. But why did you decide to get into this area? Well, what, was it just because you wanted to be barbecue kings or what's the deal? You watch those, all those shows on Foxtel, uh, you know, those where the, those Americans are all standing around barbecuing in those sort of pits. What's the deal? Not at all. I th- I, both of us come from very different backgrounds to anything to do with the food industry. Uh, so you're a vegetarian? No, definitely not a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, like you said, we're, we've got Armenian in our blood. Yeah. Um, we love food. As Armenians, as uh, a lot of... Um, Culturally, do Armenians cultural, love food? Yeah, 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 yeah. Very much so. And um, when... Do they barbecue meat? I mean, is that a thing? Yeah, oh, yeah. Huge, huge. Yeah. huge. Yeah. So... Our Armenian side comes from mainly from Iran, and so we do the traditional charcoal barbecue, you know, with the kebabs and the skewers. Yeah, yeah. Just like uh, the Greeks would yeah, or yeah. everyone else. We all argue about where it all came from. The Greeks say yeah. we invented it, and Alexander the <laughs> Great took it to Persia, which is now Iran. But, uh, but of course, the Persians would say, or the Iranians would say, and probably everyone else would say, no, 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 he discovered he did it here, and uh, just took it back to Greece. But that'll yeah. do. So, so, so that's where we come from. Our parents, my dad, parents' dad, we used to have family gatherings every once in a month, um, and we would have a, a cook-off, basically. My dad would cook one, one month, my, his dad would cook another month, and it'd be like a, a, a fight between who's the best. I love yeah. it. We'd have you know, to get rating. People would techniques. have to rate uh, the meal yeah. and all this really? sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And they'd come up with their latest, you know, techniques and like, oh, I'm putting on the butter after <laughs> this point in time and this is what I did to prepare the coals and, you know, so it's, and then they keep some secrets as well up their sleeve sometimes. So. <laughs> I love that. I mean, yeah. that would have been, fun, would have been fun growing up that way. It was, yeah. it was. Really I, I grew up with something similar to that, but it was about the aunties, uh, about the, in the Greeks is always about the women. Um, and, uh, cause the women's pretty tough in the Greek environments and, uh, whether, what the women were great at was cooking the desserts. So there was always a competition mm. about the desserts, the Greek desserts. Yes. Um, unfortunately all those aunties are, have passed away these days and, uh, 
So we, and it's a part of my cultural myth. So this bit of your culture, mm-hmm. this barbecue off, um, really had an influence on you guys. Big yeah, impact. Definitely. Yeah, I, definitely. What, what were you doing before you decided to get involved in the barbecue business, if you don't mind me asking? Mm-hmm. I was a chartered accountant. Were you? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, I, I literally worked at EY next door as my. In this building? Gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. In World Square. World Square. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I, did, I did that for 12 years. Worked um, in. Yeah, in professional services, worked in the advertising industry, um, and most recently at CBA. And then I thought, no, bugger that. I want to try something for myself. Yeah. That's cool. And how about you, Baron? I was, we, we actually went to university together as well. So we both studied a business. Um, and after university, I um, joined a big e gaming company called PokerStars. Um, and I was doing sort of data analysis and strategy and some financial analysis and planning and stuff for them over the last seven or eight years. Uh, and yeah, as Dave said, we sort of both had the same sort of inclination to try something new. Get the hell out of there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a great place to work and, uh, you know, I did enjoy my job, but for, for many, many years for me, it was, I've always had this desire to do something myself. Probably comes from my, my father and my dad was always an entrepreneur, and I was. Oh, so always- yeah, the Armenians are they're, they're, they're mm. great merchants, they're great businessmen, yeah, people, great business people is probably a better way of putting it. Yeah. So you, you both both are working in professional environments. Yes. About around about the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then what happened? And then um, uh, one day I made the call to Parent and said, "Look, I've got this idea. Uh, what do you think?" Over the time, we'd always speak to, when we'd speak to each other. We'd speak about, you know. One obsession was always the meat side, right? And we'd always talk to each other about the different ways we're doing things. Um, and then, you know, one day someone said to me, have you tried going to like a real steakhouse? Because their technique is, it's totally different to what, you know, everyone at home would do with charcoal, with pan frying, with whatever else. And I'd never been to one. And I I spoke to Parent and Parent was like, yeah, look, I've been to the one in New York. There's a very famous one, uh, Peter Luger's. Um, and he was amazed by it. And so it kind of started this process of, well, this is a different way of doing it. Um, I wanted to know more about it. I went to Chop House uh, here in Sydney, yep. um, tried their stuff, spoke to the chef, went in, he gave me a demo of the the unit that they use. Um, and between Parent and I, we started talking about, you know, why isn't this available at home? Or is it? We started researching it and we sent, we found... We, we found, found one. We found one niche sort of German manufacturer a few years ago. At the time, it was relatively small. Uh, actually, Dave found it in a German magazine. Just because uh, you know, Daddy speaks German. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he does. Uh, and uh, just from that, we 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 found that they had this small little sort of broiler type thing. Uh, What's well, a broiler? I mean, so, people listen to that. Yeah, a broiler. So is. basically. The term sort of grill, salamander, broiler are all really sort of interchangeable. But uh, in the US, they use the term broiler. Uh, here, they use the term sort of salamander more, which is essentially uh, a grill that heats from above. Right. Right. And so this German uh, there, gadget? Yeah, there was a German gadget. Um, it was a little small gadget that did sort of one steak at a time. Um, and sort of we were like oh well that's, it. that's the first thing that we've seen that's anything like what we're thinking and so we uh decided to buy one bring one over uh and we were actually in discussions with them to become distributors um, and that's how really it started 
Uh, were you still working at your jobs at, at that time? Yes, yeah. we were both working. Um, it was soon after I think that Dave quit yeah. a couple of months. I after quit that. before Parent did. Um, right, because I want to come back to that because that piece about quitting your day job. Yeah, I'll come back to that bit. Okay, so um, just take, take me through the story then. Yeah, so basically, initially it was going to be the business had sort of a simpler big was supposed to have a simpler beginning as they were yeah. of course yeah <laughs> so we we're gonna just get this product that was already made in germany and then become distributors in australia because we noticed it was really only selling in germany and it was sort of very niche they weren't that great at social media they weren't really great at marketing um so we thought we could do some stuff with it um and then we brought the unit over and we sort of uh tested it with with people yeah. Uh, we took it to people who were in the industry. We took it to friends. We took it to basically anyone who was willing to demo it. Um, and we just got feedback. Um, and the sort of the feedback we got was it was too small. Amazing result. Amazing result, of course, yeah. It was too small. Cooked though. well, but it was well, yeah. not practical. Yes. Too small. Like, who's going to cook one steak at a time? Yeah. Um, and at the time... <laughs> yeah, but go on, sorry. At, at the time, their, their unit was... Uh, for a one steak at a time was about seventeen hundred Aussie. Right, um, it's pretty expensive. Yeah, so for what it was, people thought for one steak at a time that's pretty expensive. That is expensive. So we that's thought, one selfish bastard who looks after himself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that's why right. I said it was me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so and also like on top of that, we did a lot of obviously just using it every day and seeing what we liked, what we disliked, and eventually we sort of realised or we thought that we want to try and do better. Uh, we think that there's a market for this, um, and we think that there's some significant issues with the the product that we were thinking about distributing. Um, and so we thought, well, how hard can it be? <laughs> <laughs> then you got a shock. Yeah, that, yeah that's that's when the because you're not uh, engineers. But, <laughs> no, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Look, that's when the journey really began. So okay, so just so just to kick back a little bit. So uh, what we got here for the people listening. So we got two blokes, mates from school. Culturally um, embedded in their DNA is barbecuing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be meat. Steak can be fish, whatever, chicken, whatever, anything. You probably could cook a pizza in these things too. <laughs> you can. Um, and, uh, and, and they thought they would like to give up their day jobs, which both of you are getting reasonable pay. You've gone to university. You've probably come into university. I want bloody money. Um, and you thought to yourselves, stuff that I'm going to – we're going to try something different yep. as mates. Yep. And you brought something in, you thought you knew how to make it better. Yes. But the bottom line is you knew that you knew that there was demand here or you had a had a sense that there was demand here. Mm-hmm. That point in your life, your business life, where you decided it's worth investing in re-engineering this product. Yes. How convinced were you? And did you do any research, for example? I mean, what the demand could be. Yeah, and and what and and at the price point that you had to sell yeah, to, definitely. Look, this is a niche product. It it only existed in Europe at the time that we picked it up, um, and so the numbers that we looked at were basically Germany and surrounding countries. Um, we had website data, but we also had actual sales data, which was published in some magazines. The one that I actually picked it up, um, and. It was amazing because it was like as soon as this product was tried and tested by by anyone, people were convinced, right? And so when we brought it over here, we knew this product would sell in a European market. 
when we did the roadshow and we got the feedback that the result was amazing, the, the two kind of together for us was for, for us was convincing enough to say, yeah, this has got a market. Okay, can, can I stop you? Because I think what you've got to explain to everybody, for me, I just, I just sort of demonstrated. So, I mean, I have my view, but what are the two or three unique attributes of the product or not the mm. product, the outcome? I mean, what, what do you think is makes it compelling? I mean, why? I mean, obviously you were convinced it was compelling and yep. the people you tried on, chefs, friends, family, they thought it was compelling. What are the things that, the, the couple of things that came out of it? So basically um, with our product, the, we want to sort of disrupt how barbecuing is done, right? Yep. So there's, right now we see it as there's a, there's a few different categories. You've got your normal gas barbecues. Yep. Then you've got uh, charcoal. Yep. And then you've got the smokers. And ours is different to all three in that, one, it's very quick. So, okay, so that's an important point. And, yeah. I, and I picked it up when I saw it demonstrated. Speed. Speed. And convenience. Okay. So, so going back to our story about our parents and stuff, uh, one thing that we both noticed over the years, those family gatherings became more and more infrequent. Um, and it was just because time or, or, you know, people getting older and just the, the inconvenience of doing the whole, effort. the effort yeah. involved in, in, uh, the whole cold process. Mm. Um, yeah, cause you, I mean, you, and it just, for those people who are not enlightened in the art of barbecue, especially, um, coals, which is what probably how the Armenians cook. The, yes, the they, Greeks yeah. certainly do that in terms of their barbecues. Yeah. You better explain what that means because you got to, how how you got to how you got to get the coals. You got to prepare shit. I mean, yeah. it takes forever. It takes, it takes a while. I mean, uh, and you can fuck it up. And if it's windy and you're like it's it's a hassle. There's a lot of variable factors. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. it's one of the reasons I give up on my coal. I yeah. mean, I I got one of both. I got a gas one. I got yeah. a coal one. And I, mostly, I just oh, fuck, I just put the gas on. Just, yeah. But the coal is a better outcome. It's beautiful. It's yeah. fantastic. Blah blah blah. Right. Get a better outcome. Better get a better result. But it That's is right. it is a pain in the whole yeah. to get it ready. Yeah. So speed relative to that is, is what you're talking about, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So, so basically with coal, you're going to take about 45 minutes to an hour just to get your coal ready mm. and prepared from lighting it to making sure it's sort of lit and then you've got to wait for it to sort of white, whiten to get to the right temperature and then you're ready to cook and then you've got to do all the cleanup afterwards and stuff. So essentially for us, that was becoming uh, for special occasions. Um, and we wanted something that People could just come home from work, 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock or whatever time, um, throw a steak on. How long does it take to warm it up, heat up? Uh, three to five minutes. Right, okay, good. So less than five minutes to warm up, less than five minutes to cook your steak. I should tell everyone it's gas-fired, so you, there's a gas bottle attached to this. Yeah, just normal LPG yep. bottle. So less than five minutes to, to warm up, less than five minutes to cook your steak, and less than five minutes to clean up. So in 15 minutes, you're done mm. with everything, and you've got dinner prepared. Um and just to get your sort of traditional gas barbecue up to temperature would take you about 15 to 20 minutes. Mm. So convenience for us was a big thing. Um, so but, so sp- the, really what you're concentrating on here is the way lifestyles are changed. That's right. People have less time. Yeah. Um, what you're talking about here is actually solving that problem. That's right. And so and what else is unique? Obviously, about? look, that's that's actually more of the secondary right. product, byproduct. The real main thing is the result. So you've tasted it um, and you sort of know that it's it's not something, the result you get is not something that you can really repeat on a traditional gas barbecue. I can tell you, people listen, I'm not joking. I'm not, this is not, I'm not shit talking now. 
that's the best bit of steak I've ever tasted in ter- my initial taste. Mm-hmm. The best bit Appreciate of steak that. I've ever tasted in my initial mouthful is what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you. When it first went into my mouth. So there was a, there was a sort of a crunch to it. Yes. yes. Sort of like a crust, if I could describe it like that. Yes. But at the same time, it was uh, rare on the inside. It was beautifully cooked. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It was really bitter. I mean, I, I guess it was a bit of good bit of Scotch fillet too, was it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's some, to some extent, it comes down to the product. Of course. Um, you bought. You're probably not going to give me a shit cut of steak, but nonetheless, uh, it was the outcome was very, very good. Yeah. So appreciate that. And why is that? Well, tell me about the engineering around that. What, what's yeah. what's special about your product that happens there that doesn't come from somewhere else? Look, the main difference is the temperature, right? On a standard gas barbecue. You've got somewhere between 250 to 300 degrees Celsius with the lid down if you've got a barbecue with it. 100%. Lid. And, I, yep. I, and you're right because when I put my, I'm not going to say the brand, when I put my barbecue on, yep. I wait for the needle to go up to 300. Yeah. And you wait maybe 10, 15 minutes for it yeah, to get Yeah, and it's a punish. Yeah. Um, so our, our forge gets up to 900 degrees Celsius. Right. So th- therein lies the major difference. Right. The second difference is our heat comes from on top. Right. If you were to produce this heat from underneath, as you would with charcoals, you can imagine if you have a nice cut of meat with some nice fat content in it, you're going to have a fireball. So the, the beauty of this is you can get those temperatures from above and get an unbelievable crust, like you said, mm. without overcooking the inside. Maybe the way to best describe it is finish. Crust sounds doesn't sound quite right, does it? Yeah, it's a seed. It, it's, it's, a, a seed. it's a seared finish. Yeah, But exactly. a real seared finish mm. and all the fat... Sort of like um, uh, caramelizes a little bit That's right. on the top. Exactly, yeah. And the difference as well is our burners don't touch the actual meat. So traditional barbecues, your meat lands on the grill plate. Yep. Instantly it cools down. That's just a natural reaction. Whereas with ours, ours is radiant heat with the gas and there's ceramic tiles in the burners which radiate the heat. If you put your meat in there, that does not t- change temperature. Right. So you've got a constant temperature of 900 degrees Celsius blaring down on your piece of steak. Right. And the result is amazing. Right, okay. And so, and and that takes, I mean, when we're upstairs on the, uh, up on the balcony up there, uh, I think you left a, a bit of steak on there. It was a one inch thick yes. piece of steak and it was there for two minutes? About two minutes, minutes aside. aside. Yeah. About two minutes aside. Yeah, right. And then you obviously had to cool it down a little bit, but then, but that was enough. Yeah. Yeah. Four minutes yeah, and, and the rest of the time we just stood there looking at it, letting it wait, wait for it to sort of settle a little <laughs> Drooling, bit. Drooling, yes. yeah, and want to taste it. But so, but, but so that, that's quite amazing. Um, it sounds so simple, but ridiculously amazing. You know, like it sounds really, really simple to me. Mm-hmm. How come no one else thought about it? Well, someone. Da- I mean, well, I guess it's German. Commercial, I mean, the, the commercial kitchens and stuff have obviously the the really top steakhouses. Yeah, I know. Rock Rockpool does some of those, yeah, but exactly. they have more a, like a furnacey type thing. But they right. they cook things really fast. Exactly. They do it with fish, it's chicken. And by the way, I should tell everyone this can be fish, chicken, steak, yes. pork, whatever. Yes, right. Yeah. Very versatile. I guess it does cook a pizza too, does it? It does. It does. Yeah, 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 totally. Because yeah. uh, and uh, so. Well, I, and I think, you know, because what I want to do is I want to just quickly wrap up on the product because we're going to come back, we're going to get a half time and uh, we have a little promo and then I'll come back to, to a little a story about the business itself, the business model. Yep. But um, so what we've got here is a product, from my point of view, is extraordinarily unique. I mean, I, I'm going to say it straight up. Thank you. And, and it looks pretty good too. It's, you know, it's stainless steel, it looks cool. Uh, it's, it's um, you know, it's not pretty like a Weber or whatever. It yeah. doesn't have that red top or all that bullshit. But, <laughs> right. um, but right. it, but it works. 
and yeah. it's and it's and it's the talking point. I immediately saw it and thought, shit, what is this thing? You know, like uh, <laughs> you know, I want to see it work. Um, it's very cool. It's a, it's a good product. So you've got this product, and I want to come back to after the break. I want to talk about how the hell you, what are the logistics about? How do you manufacture it? Where do you manufacture it? How do you fill, fulfill orders? How do you price it? How do you work out your profit margin, etc.? and how do you market it? Yep. Okay, so we're going to go to the break. Sounds fun. when I come back, we're going to talk about that stuff. Excellent. Okay, I'm back from the break and I'm here with Dave and Perrin and they're from Searsmiths, which is, by the way, a brand new barbecue brand. Brand new. And it's a barbecue brand. And what we're talking about is their contraption, which is a really cool-looking stainless steel machine that produces, as far as I'm concerned, a very high-quality barbecue steak. And it does it really fast, which is the part I love about it most. But that's all good. Uh, I guess what we've got to get down to now is a tin tax. You've got a business here. What's your business model? Tell me about, for example, how you manufacture this, where you manufacture it, and how you keep your costs under control. How we manufacture it, mm. where we manufacture it. Yeah. So we've been working with a manufacturer over in China for yep. the last two years. Um, it was quite a quite a in-depth process to go and find them in the first place. Um, and we've gone through probably now the 12th, 13th, maybe 14th prototype. And so we've been doing this over the last two years. So but how do you build a prototype? I mean, they've got people yeah. here listening who want to build one of these things or something in their <laughs> own mind. Yeah. How do you build a prototype of a barbecue? Yeah. And look, that was a challenge for us because we're, like you said, we're not from a background of engineering yeah, yeah. or product design or anything like that. Um, but we knew what we wanted. But so, how do you know what you want to look like? Did you draw it? Um, well, we sort of, it was a cl- collaborative effort, right? So we sort of thought of what features and the way we wanted it to be used from a user experience standpoint. So so you did a UX study? Did you do it like a... So so we basically used barbecues, competitors, all this stuff. Yeah. And, and we sort of thought, well, this isn't great user experience. No. And so we wanted to, every design choice we made was made for a reason. Um, so... You know, when we were demoing it upstairs, I showed you we have like sort of a front lip that comes forward um, from the forge. That was there specifically to sort of avoid uh, grease dripping onto your table when you when you pull meat out. Just a little thing that we thought of that could make people's experience better. Um, and just little things like we've got a chimney that opens up at the top that helps to uh, take a lot of the heat away from the user. Uh, just little things like that where... Uh, we just learnt over time as we made different prototypes and then the look and the feel sort of evolved as we went along. Did you use any experts in, yeah. in terms of this stuff? Yeah, definitely. Especially given you're dealing with gas. Yeah, yeah. Um, in Australia itself, we're probably one of the most regulated and uh, stringent when it comes to uh, domestic gas products. So there's quite a rigorous process. We had an engineer in our team that we just... Um, um, had as a contractor, we had a product designer. Where'd you find industrial. An Where do we find him? Yeah, where do you find an engineer? Where does someone out there find an engineer? I mean, how did you find your engineer? We we actually reached out to a number of certifiers and said, "Who do you guys work with?" Yeah. Um, because it's a it's a very industry based product. Easiest way to kind of backtrack. Um, so that's that's how we found ours. Um, and then we had a, a product designer slash industrial designer who was very very skilled in metalwork. 
Now, we were just lucky to find this guy, to be honest. We we started off with uh, another company who, in the end, had to knock back our work because we were too small, the, the volumes weren't enough for them, and they put us to this guy, and this guy's amazing. Um, and I know, Can I just stop? Because I think what people don't understand when, you, when you're building a prototype, there is there's a mechanical side of it. Um, you might need a mechanical engineer or some sort of metalwork engineer. But then there's industrial engineers who are people who design things that yes. they actually sh- show you what it looks like mm-hmm. and, and and also make sure it works. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of like architects. Yeah, yeah, some yeah exactly. Um, and then you're going to have all your compliance people, um, which could also be engineers, but they're compliance people around how you use gas in your case. But yes. most other products have some sort of compliance regime sitting around it yes. if they're standardised and or regulated in this country. Um, and so you, you it, it's one thing to be able to find these people and you obviously use your contacts and, you know, other people to help you find these people, but find these people, but actually understanding the parts, the parts of the prototype design yeah. is pretty bloody important. So how did you know you need an industrial engineer or, or someone who can actually do the design work for you? How'd you know that? Or you just I, was asking around or? I can't remember the specific way, but basically everything was, this is what I've learned, right? Which is, you basically go in and you have no idea what you're doing and then you talk, find someone that has some sort of an idea and then you learn from them and see if they can point you in the right direction and then you basically eventually end up in the right place. And how many prototypes? Eight prototypes. Oh, no, about 12. About 12, or 12, 12 prototypes. Yeah. Mm. So where you want to end up from what you just described then, Perrin, is that you want to end up with a prototype. And then with a prototype, you then test it. Yeah. And, and then, you, then you start evolving it or refining it, however, or maybe just completely pivoting it and changing it totally because it might have been a stuff up in the beginning. Right. So you got to 12 prototypes in two years? Yes. That's pretty amazing. That's uh, one every couple of months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got some made here. We got some made overseas. We're just, at every point, we were just making slight changes getting someone to modify and then... And then and that, now you manufacture it. So you went and found a manufacturer in China. Yes. Tricky business. Yes. Very, very, t- t- you know, like, you know, sounds easier than it is. You've got yes. to find someone who has the capability, someone who's not going to rot you, someone who's not going to copy you, someone's going to do it for the right price. And by the way, generally speaking, they say, if you don't do 50,000 units, we're not interested. So you've got to find someone who's small enough to back you in your early stages, yep. blah, blah. Is that right? That's right. So Hold on. Ha- and, and how do you fall upon uh, Chinese manufacturer. Is it, we talk about China, China mainland or Hong Kong or, or Taiwan? Mainland. Mainland. Ma- mainland China, okay. Yeah. Whereabouts? So they've... they've been- in, in Shandong province. Yep. Shandong province, the closest port is uh, Qingdao, which is mm-hmm. uh, on the coast, um, south of Beijing, basically. Three, four hours south of Beijing. Yep. Right. So And so and the deal with them, how many d- units did you have to promise them? Um, initially, we were talking about to be honest, it was one container that we right. were talking about. That was always, that was how always. How many is in a container? Though? Well, this is the interesting thing. It changed, right? Initially, it was uh, based on early prototypes. It was probably somewhere close to 150, 200 units. Now we've made the unit bigger. We've made design changes. It's now close to 100 units. Right. Yeah. So, th- so this mob in China, in uh, in this province of China, was prepared to um, manufacture 100 units. Per order. Per order, yeah. Per order, yeah. And in terms of, just you know, again for people listening, um, how do you pay these guys? Do you have to pay them in advance or how does it work? Yeah, there was it was one of those things where you never know if it's right or not and that's where you kind of reach out to your networks and understand what the real 
practice is. So we pay a 30% deposit yep. um, before they've even started. Um, and then basically as soon as they have finished and we've inspected the products, we go over there ourselves. Yeah, so you quality uh, control it yourself. Yeah. Quality assurance. Yep. That's a really important part of all this. Very yeah, important. Very important. And as basically as soon as that happens and we want to take the stock, they have to have the payment. Right. So we've been there every single time that we've been doing this. When you say take the stock, you mean put on a ship? Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's what you're talking about. So the moment it leaves their premises or the moment it arrives on, on for, for available for freight on the ship, they want the balance of the day. Correct. That's right. Okay. Yep. And are you paying in cash or are you doing it through other means? Like- no, no. We just pay through like a transfer-wise Right, um, you just transfer. EFT, yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's just a straight transfer. Yeah. So you're not looking at um, any bank instruments or anything like that. So no. so right now, you so you get your 100 units, So and do you pre-sell? Yes. So we, how do you sell? So basically what, what <clears throat> we did was we launched the actual product, um, well, unveiled the product in May of this year at, at a meat stock in Sydney, which is a big barbecue event. I think there's over 10,000. 15,000. 15,000. Uh, attendees. Uh, we demoed the product for easily over a thousand people there. Um, gave away some steaks and got some feedback and all this sort of stuff. So j- just ex- just explain. So, so this is a trade show. Yes. So well, well it's, it's a consumer. It's a it's, it's, it's consumers as well. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's all yeah, consumers. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so oh, all consumers. Okay, so um, whatever this. What do you call it? Meat stock. Meat, meat stock. stock yeah. Okay. Like shout stock. out to meat stock. Yeah. Meat stock, okay, okay. <laughs> shout out to meat stock. Okay. So you you got a meat stock. Where's that held? Uh, there's one in like Sydney, there's one in Melbourne, but we went to the Sydney one. Right. So, and you bought a stall? Yes. And you, you had to pay for a stand? Yes. Yep. And did you, when you bought your stand, did you, you know, make sure you were prominent or how'd you work? How'd that work? Well, we, we sort of did. We were a bit late to the party, so we just sort of got a couple of options, but we actually ended up in a decent spot next to uh, a couple of other barbecue brands. You want to be next to the big brands? Yeah. Because you want to, it's a, yeah. a cook off. Yeah. yeah, basically. Um, and it's, that's, that's, I mean, it's shit house if you're next to them and, you, and no one comes to you. But if you can knock off some of their some of their views, yeah. you, you're you're getting a bit of a good sense of it there and there. Yeah, we're pretty packed. That's so okay, okay yeah. cool. So you you've done you've done that, and did you get orders from that? Or? Yeah. So <clears throat> we didn't actually get any orders on the first day. Um, a lot of people showed a lot of interest. We had about 300 people sign up. Did you have launch a website before that? We had launched the day. The day, that okay. Day. Well, was- everyone listening, this is really important <laughs> because that's their day of marketing, their first day of marketing. Yeah. Got to make sure you have a fucking website. That's right. And I you've got mean- to be able to take orders and you've got to be able to take names, addresses, and you've got to be able to transact if, if possible. I was up till probably f- three or four in the morning the night before. Did you guys build your own website? We No, we, we got a developer to do that, but uh, I was very hands-on with that. With, right. with him. That, 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 and if you're listening, if you're going to market your product, make sure you've got a website and you can transact. Yep. And I guess you probably had the social going too, did you? Yeah, we'd had the social going for a few months before that. Um, we hadn't really been paying for much, but we were just getting some organic um, uh, some organic growth and just posting content so that when we started marketing, then we had some, some, some content already at. there and some yeah. stuff to look at. Yeah. I mean, this is a perfect Instagram. I mean, food is perfect for Instagram. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, food's one of the most perfect things for Instagram there is. Yeah. I mean, did you Instagram or Facebook? We do Instagram and Facebook are the yeah. two main ones. Facebook would be good because the older guys, the older people who get on Facebook is sort of a bit of an older vibe there but mm. I mean they do love these barbecue, their barbecues we've been we've been I think more successful on Facebook yeah um, sense. one it gives you sort of more options for advertising I feel like and also for us uh, we feel like there's a big education piece that we need to do 
mm. on our product because it's not something that people could just see every day and be like, oh, I know exactly how that works. So we need to explain to them, you know, what it is, what it does, why it's better, why you should own one. Mm. Um, and going through that process, we need a lot of sort of articles, videos, uh, so a variety of content, not just like photos and, yeah, yeah, and totally. videos. And we sort of need the, the text <clears throat> at times. So that's why we found Facebook was slightly better for us. Yeah, that makes but, sense. But we do, we cross post to both and yeah, yeah, we're active yeah. on both. Well, especially Instagram these days, which is owned by Facebook. Facebook. But um, Instagram's sort of got plenty of videos and stories. It's great. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's plenty of well, much more leeway leverage in there today than there ever has been in the past. Of course. Um, and it's nearly like you could even run a YouTube tr- channel with uh, famous people on there. You, could, you guys could have the you know, barbecue YouTube channel. And there probably are barbecue YouTube ch- channels. I mean, yeah. you guys are going to... Yeah, there are. Yeah, because yeah, 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 the Americans love it. Of course they do, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean I, my gut feeling is this would be fantastic in the US, but um, Americans love their barbecues, particularly if you get down the south there, you know, Texas and all those sorts of areas, yep. you know, Arkansas and Kansas, etc. Um, it's certainly my experience with Americans. So your model is manufacture in China, mm-hmm. deliver to, to Australia, yes. and then you have to distribute. Does it come yeah. to a warehouse? What's yeah, that? so basically we have a partnership with Winnings. Yep. Oh, like uh, Winnings, the, the appliances, appliances organizer. Yep. Winnings Online or uh, Appliance Online or Winnings themselves? Winnings themselves. Yep. And they've got a 3PL business, um, which, which we're is really what? lucky to find. What's a 3PL business? So basically they do our, um, our logistics. So right. they do warehousing, picking, packing, delivery to customers. Right. So do, do, do people buy their product from Winnings? Um, Not at the moment. They no. buy from our website right. and then um, <clears throat> we'll send the order to Winnings and they'll distribute and, and And what are Winnings? Do they, ta- what's the, they take a clip out of it, I guess. They, they, they just take a fee. A yeah, fee. Depending on fee per, per delivery. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. And the, the benefit of using them is we, at the start of this, thought given the size of it, given the weight of it, we were thinking, how the hell do we get this to the customer? Because mm. it's, not a, it's not an Australia Post product. No. Um, then we were looking at the TNTs and things like that with high fees and not very good customer service. So we were very lucky to find these guys because not only do they deliver, they'll put it into your backyard, unbox it, take your old barbecue. No, they're great. Yeah, I mean, they're John Winning's been on the show. He's a mate of mine. Oh, right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. 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 Herman lives, or used to, his family used to live across the road from me. Um, they've sold the house since, and, but he now lives, I won't say where he lives, but, um, so, but, it, it, and uh, he, he's the guy behind Winnings now. He, he's in his, he's about your age, might be a bit old, might be 37 or something. Oh, really? Yeah, John, yeah, his dad set it up, but John now looks after the business, and um, it's a great business. They, they've been really great to work with. And they're, they're a, a great organisation, good they culture, are. culturally very good. Um, and very helpful. Very. So I'm glad that, that you're doing it through them. I'm, I'm glad yeah, that's that's cool. And so they do your logistics here for you. Yes. That's because that could be a massive headache for it, you. It was. Yeah. That was a, we were pulling our hair out for a while well, because be we tried delivering it ourselves. Well, in the end, I mean, <laughs> you could be doing a hundred deliveries. Yeah, exactly. And so. and so so now in terms of um, do you make profit out of this? Is it a good margin and stuff for you guys? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's margin in it. Two accountants. I mean, I'm sure there's a margin in it. <laughs> there's, there's definitely margin in it. It's, but do you have to sell volumes of it? It's a volume game like yeah. like most of these things is. Right. So um, at so, the moment, margins are there. Yeah. Um, but they're not crash bang. And, and once you get the volumes up, will you be able to manufacture cheaper? Is that yes. the deal? Yeah. 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 So Manufacturing is cheaper. Logistics are cheaper. Yeah. Everything becomes uh, So what we're getting down to now is how you build your awareness. Right. That's exactly. All that, it's all about, I mean, the product's good. Pricing is sort of probably a bit more expensive than Weber, but you know you 
but it's probably it's a different product, yep, as you definitely. say, it's more niche. But but at the same time, you get a better outcome. So the game is how do you get to target your market and who is your market? So who's your market? Um, well, our market is I think sort of twenty eight to twenty eight and up, really mostly males. Um, we've got, I guess the. It's really, I mean, in Australia, barbecuing is such a prominent thing that it's you know, a lot of people, really. But when you go down to, like, the, the the main, main target, it's it's sort of people who are into barbecuing. So we find that a lot of our customers have two or three different barbecues already, mm. and they're looking for something that does something different. Uh, and then sort of more foodie-type people who are into cooking, who are into that sort of stuff. And then we've got... The guys who are into the latest and greatest uh, gadgets and sort of they want to, as we said before, they want to show off to their mates. Yeah, yeah. Look at the barbecue I just did, that sort of stuff. So it's it's because the barbecue sort of, is a good talking point. I mean, like yeah, yeah. People come around. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's pretty hard to entertain them, but if, you, if you've got something here to talk about, exactly, that's a good start. Yeah, you know, it breaks the ice a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, what, what what is that? What the hell is that? You know, and yep. you sort of carry on a little bit. <laughs> so, so that's your market. Yes. it's not just Australia, by the way. Oh no, no, because I mean, no. you're manufacturing in China, so you can distribute to anywhere in the world. We can, yeah, as long as you get the logistics right. Yep. Um, and I would have thought, I don't know about Europe. I can't, I can't speak about Europeans, but um, particularly Northern Europe. But uh, I see the US, <laughs> New Zealand, US, but so Australia, New Zealand, US. So I. How do you get the word out there? Because you sort of nearly got to get out there. It's nearly a global awareness. Yeah. So this was, I mean, for us, it's been a bit of a stop start, right? So um, the last couple of months, we've really been focusing a lot on um, the product side of things. So with manufacturing, there's different phases. And I mean, we had a working product, product's fine, but we spent a lot of time trying to improve the manufacturing process so that we can go on to our next stage of what what we call our next stage of business, which is trying to scale up um, and trying to ramp up production cost efficiently um, and then trying to go into these different markets. Um, so in terms of marketing, um, it's a little bit difficult because we've, because we're on a budget, we've sort of been trying to actually not market really. We've been doing because very minimal marketing, exactly. Because we, we have been in and out of stock all the time. Um, but once we sort of, uh, we have a summer campaign starting this week, uh, where people can sort of pre-order the next shipment. And then we're hoping after that, that it's going to be a, a flow of. So if you've got a backlog, coming. backlog of orders. We uh, do. Yeah. So we've got a few orders right now that yeah. people know they have to wait a few So like weeks. if I order now, how long does it take? What's the lead time? Well, I'm, it's, it's not sort of not like that. It's, we, we just have set. Yeah, you wait to get, so you're going to wait to get another 100. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, gonna, it's basically going to be in about three or four weeks. Yeah, okay. So would you would you get an order of, Would you do you reckon you bulk up to 100 orders every three or four weeks? Is that sort of? No, not not right now. Um, but as I said, that's because we've been sort of focusing on getting product stuff right. But that's where we hope to be. So what are the, I mean, I know you just mentioned Facebook before, but I mean, what, I mean, what I thought um, influencers would be a good one to look yes. at. I mean, I, I guess if you've got... Uh, you know, uh, have you thought about Tribe? We have. Yep. The thing with Tribe is I think they've got to own your product, from what I understood. No. They don't have to own no, it. No, 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 no. That's, that's how No, no, no. So, like, you, you, know, you, 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 you put the brief up on Tribe 
um, you guys put the brief up in Tribe, and uh, the brief goes onto the Tribe website. The Tribe, the Tribe, uh, you know, all the various influencers um, all around Australia or anywhere for that matter, um, they look at the product. Um, they've got to try the product. Right. So you have to provide an environment where they can come and try the, try the product. Mm-hmm. So obviously, normally a person would put put up on Instagram something, would use a tribe platform if they're a restaurant or a bar and then the influencer can just come into the bar. Right. Because they know where it is, okay? In your case, that's not the case. So you'd have to provide a place where they can come and try it. So you mm-hmm. might put on a barbecue day, yep. for example, and invite all the influencers along over a period of a weekend or a couple of days or whatever it is. Yep. And, and, that, and it could be one of these shows that you talked about. Um, I don't know how often they're up, their shows are on, but you have to find out some way for the for the influencer to go and test it. Then the influencers come and test it. What they do is they then take the photographs, they test it, you know, they do their thing. Um, we're talking about micro-influencers here. And then what they do is they, uh, they send you a brief. They put a brief up on the website. You look on the website and it says, I'm Mark Boris. I have, uh, you know, 6,000 followers. This is who they are. You can look and check them out. The tribe actually makes sure that they're not duds. And then uh, here's my photographs and here's my narrative and I put this up at 4 p.m. on Friday afternoon because that's when most of my people look at my stuff and I want 150 bucks. And then you, you get to own the post, you get you get to own everything. Um, that's how it works and you just hit yes, that one I'll take, that one, that one, that one, that one and you spend a couple of thousand bucks. Perfect. But Tribe needs to know where that, the influencers need to know where to go and test it out. They're, yeah. not, talking about, they're not talking about big influencers, they're talking about micro-influencers. Yes. And these micro-influencers are foodies. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in your case, for example, um, and obviously they have the people that follow them. Generally speaking, are very much food oriented. Yes. So, I mean, that may be the right people you're looking for. I don't know, mm-hmm. but Tribe's a good one. Um, I think it's a good one to, to to talk to at least. But Instagram influencers, I would have thought, you know, chefs. I mean, if you get a chef to talk about one of these things, have you tried any chefs that are well known? We've tried a few. What they say? Fuck off. N- not in those words. Pay us. <laughs> um, look, pay me, pay me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to mention any names, but we've gone. We've had a few sort of pretty well known guys, um, and usually they're under some sort of contract with, with somebody else. Yeah, and, and they're just <coughs> obligated to be with. Yeah, they just can't do it. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Have you have you tried my mate Guillaume Brahimi no. from Guillaume's? I don't think. I mean, I know quite a few of his uh, sponsorships. I don't think he's got a barbecue one. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, I know he does cars and various other things, but uh, um, he's uh, he might be some. I mean, look, he wouldn't do it for free. Yeah, you know, you'd have to come to some sort of deal with him. We, but, can, give, uh, we can give him a free barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if you do it just for free barbecue, but like, uh, but you'd probably have to, you'd have to do a deal with him. But like, sure. but he's like, a, you know, he's and he's fantastic. If he believes in something, mm. he really gives it a good run. Yep. And he's got a little house down the road from me, and he's he barbecues all the time. Sounds um, good. He's got a young family. He's got lots of mates. He's always got people around there. But I would have thought that um, someone like him would be so powerful in a business, in, yeah. in your, your thing, or, or, or someone like Maeva Mirror. You know Maeva Mirror from SBS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if somebody could get her on board. She lives around Mossman somewhere, so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, for us, we'd love to speak to all these people. It's just. How do you get to them? How do you get to them? And that's sort of the, the PR side is something we haven't really figured out yet. Okay, you've got an agency. We do you have, have an agency? We don't have anyone. Well, mate, that's what you need. Because, I mean, with great respect, just talking to you guys, you're not PR agencies, okay? No, <laughs> that's not, not your go. That's definitely um, not. You're, uh, you're accountants with uh, 
Um, you're not accountants anymore, but you have accounting backgrounds. Um, you haven't been trained in the art of marketing. Um, you're very good at um, manufacturing. Um, you've really thought this through. You've got a great product. I think there's great demand out there, but you need a specialist in this area. For sure. And you need probably need someone to do your social for you, and you probably need someone to do your PR for you. I mean, you should perhaps even reach out to someone like Nick Fordham who does my stuff. I mean, in the Fordham group. You know, like they're guys who could get you a, a slot on, for example, on the – the Today Show one day. So like this time of year, Today Show is looking for content, okay? And people aren't interested in um, hearing about terrorism or something. This time of year, they're, look, they're interested about, you know, barbecues and yeah. new Christmas shit, presents. Yeah. yeah, totally. So, like, they might see this as interesting. I don't know. I'm just making shit up, you know, um, or the morning show, you know, this Channel 7, Channel 9. They're both they're competing with each other. Yeah. The more content they get, the better. Cook-offs is great, um, you know, I'm just saying, like, and you need someone who deals in these environments. Yeah, no, you, for you, sure. If you ring up the, the Channel 9 or 7, they go, oh, if I, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. You won't even get through it. You don't no, even no, get through it, okay? Yeah. But PR guy is going to cost you a bit. Yeah. So, you know, when I say, you know, not, it's not too much, but it'll, they'll cost you. They'll charge you. I and mean, Roxy Jusenko would be great too. You know, Roxy, you know, she charges X per month. You have to be pay a retainer and then she charges on top of that. But, like, if she gets on top of something like this, she she can really punch hard. So, you know, you need to think about who you're going to go to mm-hmm. and, and don't – do yourself a favour. Go go upmarket. Don't get someone just because they're cheaper and, you know, you need to go top shelf. Not big firm but someone who has plenty of celebrities working for them because what you want them to say is, okay, I've got a chef here I manage. Yep. Or I've got uh, – Yeah. Uh, who got connections with nine and ten? Who are always pumping content in there? That's sort of who you should be going for. It's good to hear it from you because like anything in business, like Parham was saying, you want to try this stuff yourself first because if you don't, you end up throwing Mm. all your money out the window and you might be left with nothing. Yeah. But um, I think with something like this where it's based on networks, based on connections. And it's got to be fast. Yeah. You've got to have someone say, yeah, I'll just pick up the phone to this producer of the morning show or the day show, whatever. I'll get you on. Uh, yeah. Or or they're not interested. Yeah, you don't stuff around. Yeah, look, PR is the one area where we've both discussed this actually previously, where we have definitely have a lack of knowledge, and I think it's one area that we won't really ever fill that gap because you need retail PR, which is hard, fast, dynamic, ruthless. Uh, try this, don't work. Fucking get on the next thing. Try yeah. it, don't work. Get on the next thing. Try it. Yeah, uh, it's not going to work. Yeah. Tell you straight up. Yeah. You know, that, that that's what I'm saying. You need someone like that. Yeah. And I mean my experience is Nick Fordham's great. You know, Roxy's fantastic and I'm sure there's a whole bevy of other people out there who do the same who would be equally as good. Yeah. Um but there's two people I would start off with straight away. I mean you Thank should you. Nick you know, get through our producer here, Huey, he will put Hugh will put you in contact with Nick Fordham. And they keep but, but at the end of the day, you've got to, have a, you've got to be able to bankroll this stuff. You've got to be able to pay these guys. Yeah. And they're going to cost you, you know, it's not going to cost you an arm and leg, but there's, it will cost you something. You've got to pay for it because, you know, they spend their whole life building these contacts and that's how they make their money. Yep. You, you know, like, and then once you're up, you've got to have your website ready to go. You've got to have all your Instagram ready to go. And it's, it's a mix of stuff. You've got to do all your digital at the same time. Yes. Um, some of these guys, by the way, have digital people internally in their own business who can actually help you. Yep. So, you know, they know it's a full package. But you need to you need to tell the world about this. I mean, I'm happy to talk. I'm talking about it now, but you need to tell the world about it. Appreciate it. The whole world. Yeah. People need to know about this Aussie invention by two Armenian boys, <laughs> <laughs> one with a German background. <laughs> so, but that's part of the story, and you've got to build your story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I 
I think you got, but my just my gut feeling about the two of you, um, you're reticent to stand forward about your story should be really strong. Your story is strong. Mm-hmm. London, Germany, Australia, schoolmates, culture, having a crack, left your job. Yeah. Accountancy, consultancy, well, whatever you want to, how you best describe it, into selling barbecues, which is one of the great Australian pastimes. Yes. You've worded it very nicely. Yep. That's your story. Yeah. But your story isn't anywhere. I'm going to have to drag it out of you. You're, you're a bit shy. I don't know if you're shy. You're, you're just... We're not really uh, PR people, really. No, no. Well, you've got to be... You're confident, but you're not... Uh, you haven't quite worked out that this is all about promo. Yeah. How to promote the shit out of this great product. Yeah. I mean, you've got the great product. You're going to have to continue working on it. That's your main game. But you're going to have to promote the shit out of it. And you can't be... Um, you can't be... I don't think you're reticent. You can't be... Um, I don't think you're shy either. I just think that you don't know how to do it. I agree. And you need know, to get someone to push you around a little bit. You're only young too, but you need know, someone to push you around a little bit. You know, I mean, you try and with your T-shirt. I get all that. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's sort of, it's more about, you know, I'm so enthusiastic about this thing that I want to tell every fucking body, you know. Yeah. Like, I want to get Mark Geyer to try it out. You know, like uh, who's going to be my ambassadors? Who are my ambassadors? Who, who can I pick? Um, and you might, you know, I don't know whether you guys accumulate any money, you know, did you in your other in your other jobs, but you you probably got to sort of say to yourself, okay, I'm going to put a couple hundred grand aside for the next twelve months, eighteen months, whatever it is, and out of the and out of the sales, I'm going to allocate blah blah to go hard on promoting this for the next eighteen months and just see see the outcome. And then I also want to ask you a question: What's your final game here? Is it? Is it just to sell these things and manufacture forever? Or is, it, is it one day to team up with somebody who you know who who does this for a living? Because like to be an industrialist, which is sort of where you end up being, you know, you're, you really are a manufacturer with a marketing machine in front of you. Take away the fact that you you have barbecues. That's just yep. the point of difference. You're running an industrial company that manufactures in China, and a logistic company that delivers around the world, and then you have a marketing piece at the front which feeds that. That's your business, okay? Yes. The rest of it, the barbecues, that's all bullshit. I mean, it's tr- important. That's the, the genesis of it, but that's your business going forward. Correct. The question is you've got to ask yourself is, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Is that me, is it me, and, is that me and Dave? Are we, are we doing that, hanging out, Parent and Dave hanging out, doing that for the rest of our lives? Are we going to build you know, CFOs and we're going to have, you know, uh, head of quality assurance, we're going to have engineers and mechanics and, we're going to, and we're going to, uh, I mean, what, what are you going to do? Because let's say you get 10,000 orders mm-hmm. and let's say the Chinese company can supply them. Have you got, have you gone through in your own mind, how do I equip ourselves to handle these 10,000 orders and all the people we have to put in there? Where do you want to land? What do you got any ideas about that? Where do you want to end up? Um... For me, tiger by tail. for me, it's one of those ones where I, I have a vision of that. I'd, I'd ideally love to have a business where Parent and I have got a, a great team that's working with us, uh, Australian-based, and we're doing something for Australia. Um, but like anything, for me, this has been like a journey where every day something changes. So I'd say, yeah, it is, um, but that, that vision changes a lot. So, okay, but what, what's, your, what's your plan? What's your exit? Um, well, what are the potential exits? So I'm not okay. saying I'm not asking you to tell me 
I'm Mark. I'm going to sell and so on. So no, no, it was, it was never a plan. To but what are you? What are, what are your exit possibilities? And what okay. are they? So and are you building towards those? So basically, uh, originally, our, our our plan was not to sort of really have an have an exit anytime in the in the near future. We wanted to build like a business that we're going to be a part of for the next twenty years until uh, yeah, retirement. Yeah, but, but, but Parent, if you want to build a valuable business, yes, you've got to build it as if there's going to be an exit. Yes. Like if I'm an investor in your business, yep. I will say to you, I'll invest in your business, but if I give you give me my money back plus profit because I want to know what the liquidity event's going to be. Yep. And you you guys got that training liquidity event says in five years' time, we're going to sit down, we're going to sell, trade sale, partner, list, whatever, okay? Or stay in. But you've got to prepare the business as if you were going to do that liquidity event in five years' time because yep. if you don't, you're not really, really encapsulating all the value because you'll end up concentrating on manufacturer, the cost of manufacturer, or the problems with logistics, or the problems with the product, or we've got to renew the product, you know, or I'm going to run off, we're going to run off and do marketing. Every single thing you do should be about the potential exit and all the documentation that goes around it, and every forecast, and every actual, and every margin calculation, every gross profit, and every extra dollar you add to the, the overheads. Everything's about building to get a value. So you say, five years, I want, to, I want to sell. We might sell. Well, I want to consider selling in five years' time. I'd like to get $50 million for this business at fi- to get a valuation of $50 million. Um, that means uh, it's a two-time industry. That means I've got to have revenue of $25 million or net profit of $25 million or given my current margin and the potential reduction in costs. Um, if, I, if I sell more, I've got to sell so many in the year five, which means I can sell... 20% less in year four and 20% less year three and 20% less year two. Mm-hmm. And how do you work towards that? That's sort of what I'm thinking about here. And I'm not asking you what is your exit. I'm asking you are you thinking about what your exit could be and what have you got to produce every single day and every single quarter and every single year for the next five years to get you to a point where you think it's you're happy with 50 million. You might be happy with 20 million. You might be happy with 5 million. Mm-hmm. I don't care which one it is. I would like to see you guys work backwards and actually start, not now, you just got your prototype something ready, but in, in due course, yep. start to think this through. And yeah, maybe look, this is a learning experience, right? So mm. we've spoken about this very issue between us multiple times, and multiple times the conclusion was, you know, this isn't a business that we want to do as you say. And I know you don't have to do that by, you know, in five years' time. No, you don't have to do it. But you make a fair point, is that, you know, do you run your business like that, um, even if that's not your end goal? Well, I think it always should be. That's my view because it gives you optionality because in five years' time, someone's going to come back to you and say, five years ago today, <laughs> you, five years ago, someone knocks on your door and says, oh, we'd, we'd like to buy a business or partner with you. And they say, oh, can we go back to five years ago? Uh, can we go through all the stuff you built and look at all your forecasts and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you've got, if you haven't got done any of that work, then you can't, it's hard to recreate it. We've definitely, like, we've definitely done forecasting. Um, but as Dave was saying, it's like we haven't really hit our stride yet in yep. terms of we where we want to be 100% operational. So as I said, we have some delays. We've had some stock, a big amount of stock. We've had some time spent working on the manufacturing process. So I feel like up until basically in 2018, we were proving our concept, proving that there's a market. Yeah, prove a concept. Right. right. And, and sort of getting product out to customers and getting feedback. But and you've making, done that now. We've done that now. Yeah. So 2019, I was, t- I was telling Hugh before, 2019 is where we sort of start the real 
Yeah, the rubber hits, rubber hits the road. That's it. You study it serious. <clears throat> yeah, and that... Because you might need to raise money. Yeah. My, my gut feel. You might, you might, unless you've got plenty of money sitting behind you. But I mean, then, it depends. I mean, we want to, as you said, we want to market this to the world, mm. right? And so you need quite a bit of money. Yeah, you need... You need to, to, to get yeah. to the scale we want to get to. Totally. Manpower. Yeah. yeah. You need um, people yeah. To, yeah. To, to deliver under it. So, I mean, we could do this sort of organically and sort of... Do it in Australia, that goes well. Introduce it into Europe, wait for that to happen, and then introduce it to the US or whichever order we decide to do it in. But ideally, now that we know the product's right, that we're pretty much almost certified for Europe already. I think there's minor complications, but minor things to get certified for the US. We're going to distribute through Amazon. We're sort of ready pretty much to do that. All it really comes down for uh, to us uh, for us now is basically getting the capital to get the stock in those different locations and to start marketing in those in those locations, which for an upfront cost is quite a lot. Totally, we're doing millions. Yeah, so that's. Uh, so what's that's... your question for me? <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a couple of questions for you, but one of them was I actually came back down to this issue uh, of like, how do you raise money in a in a company that's sort of in its infancy without sort of losing total Too control of your, of your business. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, would you go to private investors? Would you go to VCs? Would you I wouldn't go, go to, Well, right now I wouldn't be talking to VCs because they're going to own it. Yeah. <clears throat> because it's not worth enough. I mean, it's interesting, um, but probably not worth enough for them to, to commit the sort of money you need to raise. Agreed. Um, without you sort of handing over the reins, effectively end up working for someone for the rest of your life, which is the opposite of what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. um, so you need to look at private investors, probably family. Usually people at your stage talk to family. I mean, one of the things you might want to consider is um, um, a crowdfunding program. I mean, you know, you, heard, you know that beehive story, you know, the ones up there, yeah. the, the uh, Flow Fire Hive. Bay. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Flow Hive guys. Um, I would have thought this is one of the products which, you know, you might be able to get shareholders off the back of being first orders, first orders for your product. I mean, mm-hmm. I would have thought that's something that, that, that people might find interesting, but you need to go into one of the crowdsourcing mobs to try and put that together for you. I don't know how much money you're going to raise, but, um, you know, it depends what, you, you know, what your, what your program, your forecast sort of show and what you show you need. And then to do that too, by the way, you need to have all the stuff I just talked about. You need to have the whole marketing program mapped out, the whole manufacturing program mapped out, mapped out, so the people can sort of look at it and say, yeah, well, there's that's worth investing in because at this stage it's something that I'd like to invest in as an early stage investor. And you're better off getting 500 people or 1,000 people out of 1000 or $2,000 or $10,000, depending on what, you know, what the market will bear, than you are getting one person with a couple of million bucks because that one person with a couple of million dollars, as I said, was going to take too big a chunk from me. So you, I think you're better off to have a, a spread of people. Now, that is in itself hard to manage because you're managing a mob. Mobs can be a punish. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I think it's better in terms of the equity because there's much more value once you raise that money and actually spend it. That's right. The upside in the value is after that. That's right. But it's yep. not here now at That's the moment. Right. Or you might decide next 12 months just to slow down a bit. So, sorry, market, go by market. Mm-hmm. In other words, just nail at least one market so you've got a, a proxy for what the rest of the world could look like. Yeah. 
probably where I would go is I would just start to I would build out I would spend another twelve months on it. I don't I don't really see there's a I mean it's, there's a chance, but someone could come in and knock off your idea. I presume you're doing all the usual IP stuff. Yeah. Yep. But, but but look, someone could knock off your idea, but it'll come down to who's the best marketer. You know, ultimately, always is. I mean, it's not as if uh, Steve Jobs is the only person in the world have computers. I mean, lots of people have computers. Um, and it might be, too, what you're selling in 12 months' time might look completely different what you're selling now because these things evolve pretty quickly. The market changes and you have to change with the market. I mean, even though you think you've got a good product now, the market will come to expect something different. They'll say, oh, wouldn't it be good if this? You know, so yeah. I think you're a little early to raise money. I think the next 12 months... I think you should be, opera, be hit the ro- hit the road hard. Just get get a PR like guy. It. Just demonstrate that this is PRable. Build up in Instagram profiles and maybe look at doing raising money in twenty. Yep. And I I don't know. I mean, do you need to raise money now? Um, not not if we sort of. I mean, it would be nice mm. because we have a lot of stuff that we want to do. Like even the PR agencies and stuff that you're talking about. It all adds up, yeah. right? Um, but you might be able to pay them out of, like in the PR age, like a couple of grand a month, like as a retainer. Mm-hmm. Um, but you might be able to pay them out of sales too, you know what I mean? Like, a, and just you take less uh, yourself, you probably won't take anything at the moment anyway. But it just, you know, like uh, it might require a small amount of money, and that might be a family thing or a one or two private investors. I wouldn't go trying to raise too much money now, raise yep. whatever it is you need. Yep. give away the least amount of possible, yep. but then work hard for the next 12 months just getting the product up and, and more accepted yep. and more more um, market acceptance, more market use. Yeah. I mean, we had actually quite a few uh, – we had some big retailers actually reach out to us. Uh, they reached out to us. Yeah, but they're going to want a big earn out of the for the distribution, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. You're talking about barbecues and all those sorts of mobs. Those kinds yeah, of those, but they Yeah, but what are they, 30% or something? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot to give Not away. More. That's a lot to give away. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of margin. Yeah. And yeah, uh, and you're not. it's not as if you're going to be able to increase your price. No. Can't increase the price. No. And so <clears throat> basically for us it was let's get the product ready. Yeah. And let's get it ready to, to go to those sort of volumes in case. Yeah. Because if you're going to do that, you need lots of volumes, which means lots of marketing, which means less margin and... You know, you need, as I said, you're going to give away a lot to the distributor because they they basically charge, charge your shelf space. Yep. They're real estate agents who own the real estate and they charge you for putting on the floor. That's right. <laughs> That's what they do. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and they take a big fee for that, which is fair enough because they build brands up themselves. So your brand's got to become a big brand, you know, or shit, you want people saying, can I get that Searsmith from you? Do you sell that? You know, get, you want someone to go to a, a store and say, where do I, do you sell that? Yeah. In order, f- then they'll come. Then they'll really want you. Okay. Yeah. To do that, you got to go on. You get your PR agency to get you on to the Today Show, the Morning Show, or the Channel Seven One, or whatever it is they do on S- Saturday and Sundays are the good day. Saturday morning is a really good day for you guys and the, those morning shows. Um, then people just kicking back, hanging out. Especially this time, of year, it's the best. You got to get your social up really hard. Um, talk to the tribe. Get go and see the tribe guys. Go go and talk to the influencers. Um, I, that's what I would do, and I'll raise whatever amount of money is required to do that. Slow, just chunk it out a little bit. And then with a view to doing it in 2020 hard, raising good money, after looking back on not, uh, uh, 2019, looking at what you've achieved. Yes. You've achieved great, by the way. Two years fucking old, right? You, you've achieved great stuff. 
12 iterations. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's amazing in two years. 12. And you've already, how many, how many um, containers have you sold so far? We're on to the third one. Okay. You've done 12 iterations. You sold, thir- this is your, on your third container. You found a manufacturer in China I mean, it's, and you've got a fucking great product. I mean, seriously, it's pretty good stuff. I appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. And you're only young. Yeah. Yeah. So give yourselves another year. That's just, that's just my sort of fatherly advice to you. It's not a commercial, but it's <laughs> yeah. how I feel. Like I just feel that that's what you should just chill and go real hard in the next 12 months and not give it. Otherwise, you're going to have to give too much away, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. You, you, they'll skin you. They will. And, uh, and your typical VCs, that's their game. Their game is to get as much as they possibly can out of you. Yeah. That's their job. And uh, they're pretty good at it. And they they know they'll know straight. They could away pick me. a lot of holes in it. Totally. It's so yeah, it's so we're so young, and uh, I mean, we need some some more proof under our belt, I think, yeah. and some more sales and showing them the trajectory of where totally. we're going, and then show them how your marketing is working. Yeah, because they don't understand marketing as well as you. To be honest with you, and you guys are sort of young at it. What you've got to convince them is that your brand is extraordinarily marketable through all the various digital environments. And it's also the sort of thing that people want to talk about. Yes. You know, like it's it's a good referral market, your one. It's a beauty. Like I'll tell someone about it. Like, I mean, I'll, if I'm someone, I'll say, oh, I saw this really cool barbecue. That's the sort of stuff yeah. you want. Yeah. Um, so, but that takes a bit of time. So I'm just saying give yourselves 12 months, if you can. Yeah. You're only young. <laughs> That's right. Guys, I'm going to have to wrap it up because uh, – this is my second last, my last for the year, for the uh, calendar year. So it's uh, been really nice to meet you. It's fantastic. I love the product um, and I'm a barbecue aficionado for many years and um, and I was once in my own mind uh, famous for my barbecues. <laughs> I just haven't had one for a while. But uh, but uh, I definitely will talk about it and I think it's a brilliant product. Appreciate nice it, Nice to meet Mark. you guys. Thank you very much, Mark. Mark. I'll see you later. 